Parsley, is that all right? Does anybody know what it's like to have a two-year-old? Just pop your hand up. Show me some sympathy. That's all right. That's great. Um, my name's Rachel. This is Edward. And uh, thank you to your leaders and for this church for, for having us here this morning. And uh, just by uh, means of introduction, just so that you know uh, what we're about and what we do, uh, we're currently running uh, a ministry called Your Mission. Can everyone say Your Mission? The, the fact is that we all have a mission in God's great mission, which is to reach the nation's with the message of the good news of Jesus and uh, to see the artwork practically and actually uh, that people catch a hold of what this beautiful message of Jesus is all about for themselves. And so we've got a passion to see the nations reach. That's a bit of a big passion, but not really that. We're, we're like a spark of fuel. We want to be a catalyst to see people get involved in the Great Commission in our generation. So, uh, so your mission was set up to do that, and we're currently based out of London, uh, still living locally, but based from London, and uh, we run uh, as well with the AOG in a course called Equip, so you can pick up a leaflet. There's some good standalone sessions if you want to connect in with what we're doing. Bit of a train ride down to London, but it's worth it. You'd have to get up early on a Saturday morning. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so that's what we're about. And uh, when you see the world, if you imagine a, a picture of the, the, the globe, the middle section of the globe, uh, really it's called the, in the 1040 window. So it's, right, it's like spanning across the Middle East and through Asia, um, are the most unreached people in the world in terms of the gospel. The Joshua Project says that 42% of the world today have no viable access to a good church like this in their mother tongue. So that's pretty big stats. 42% of the world are unreached with the good news of Jesus. And also we know that we're in post-Christian Europe as well. Um, you know, so for us, we, we've got loads to do, haven't we? There, there's some great things happening. And, uh, you know, just sat, sat here this morning, the sense of God and this place booming. Uh, the, you know, it's just wonderful to see. Uh, so there's some sparks of light um, around, uh, but we want to see more of that. I want to see this happening up and down the country uh, and into Europe and throughout the world. So we'll do our little bit. We're a cog in the machine. We understand that we're not it. We're a cog in the machine. If we can light a spark in somebody's heart to follow what God's put on their lives to do, that, that's brilliant. So, you know, maybe you're sat here, you've got a passion for something, you know, go for it in Jesus, you know, talk to your leaders, obviously. But you might be here and you might think, well, do you know, I've got a, I can't get it out of my head, Rachel. I've got this people group on my mind. Well, you know, come and have a chat to us as well, obviously, in conjunction with your leaders, you know, want to do everything under the right authority. But, you know, we'd love to chat to you as well. So we're about mission locally. We're about mission globally. We're just about mission. We just want to see people reach for Jesus. Is that cool? So, um, you know, pray for us. Is that okay? And uh, that's wonderful. So I'm going to hand over to Edward, and he's going to bring the word to you. I'm going to take my two-year-old back, and I might take her downstairs to play with some toys. Is that all right? Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Yeah, and just so that you know... Not only can I preach, I can also change nappies. Sometimes they need changing again a few minutes later by my wife because I don't put them on the right way round. Cheap nappies don't have pictures in the right places, but there you go. It is great to be here this morning. Thank you for your invitation. 
We're just delighted to be here. I should say we do have another daughter who's downstairs somewhere. Thank you for your amazing uh, children's work here. And last time we visited, we sneaked in around the Christmas time. She went to that and she didn't stop talking about it for the rest of the week. So thank you uh, for what you invested into her then. And um, in fact, it's so good we might leave her for the week if that's okay. If I could just say, we do have some cards, uh, which we have on a table somewhere in the coffee area downstairs. Uh, please do take one on your way out. All we would ask is, take one and either put it in your Bible or on your fridge with a magnet or somewhere, you know, and every time you go get the coffee out of the cupboard or brandy or whatever it is you're into. Um, <laughs> that was a joke. Maybe. Um, and uh, when you see it, would you just pray for us that God will help us and bless us and pray for the world as well. Great. Well, this morning, it's my pri privilege to talk about standing out and shining to the world. Is that okay? Standing out and shining to the world. Let me begin with a question. Is it possible to be in a move of God and still be living in disobedience? Is it possible for a church to be really motoring in God, if that makes sense? To be experiencing the goodness and the favor of God and yet still to be living in disobedience? Is it possible for an individual, a couple, a family, to really be excited about the message of Jesus and be full of enthusiasm for the things of God and to be doing everything they feel they can do to serve God and yet still to be in a place of not obeying God? I find the book of Acts in the Bible fascinating. Um, I should just say that we were slightly late here than we intended to be this morning because I got halfway here and I said to my wife, where's my Bible? And she said, well, it's your Bible. Why are you asking me? Um, she said, you can have my Bible, but her Bible is the size of a matchbox and is various shades of pink. Um, Sure, there's a joke in there somewhere, but I'll just backtrack quickly. And so we turned around and went back and got it, and it wasn't where I thought it was, and so we had to say, anyway, I'm here, and I have my Bible, so I better refer to it. Now, in the book of Acts, I find the book of Acts so exciting. Anybody who's read it, would you like to live in the times of the book of Acts? You gather together for a prayer meeting. I see your meeting, is it Tuesday, uh, for prayer and fasting. Imagine if while you were there praying and fasting, there was a violent wind and, uh, you know, cloud appeared in the room and the place shook and then fire appeared. I mean, amazing things. People speaking in languages that they've never learned. Crowds coming to find out what all the noise was about. It says in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts that incredible miracles took place 
in the early days of Christianity. I know there are some people that don't necessarily believe in the miraculous, but the Bible is full of it. And right from the very beginnings of the church, you can't really take the miraculous away from it. Otherwise, there's not a lot left. Some remarkable events took place. People who were born crippled, healed, unable to run and dance and move. It's not just for the Bible times, you know. It's for today as well. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. So we still have a God who heals. Rachel and I have had the privilege of seeing some remarkable things happen, some remarkable healings. We've also seen some not remarkable things, and I don't understand how it all works. We've laid hands on some people when we didn't feel particularly energetic or filled with faith, and God answered our prayers. And uh, we've just, well, I won't get distracted on stories, otherwise my time will go. We've also laid hands on people, and they got worse. Um, so, you know, just catch us in the right frame of mind, I guess. People healed. People added to the church, not just every Sunday, but every single day of the week. Uh, We read that they began to count the numbers, but the church expanded so much that we see no further records of how large the church was with the number of people responding to the message of Jesus and coming to real life-changing faith in Jesus. What an amazing church to be part of. The widows were looked after. The orphans were protected. The hungry were fed. The authorities were in fear of the church, not because the church was scary, but because the church was influential to the degree that the religious leaders in Jerusalem called the leaders in several times and were fearful of them because they had so much influence and power in the capital city of Jerusalem. What a day and an age to live in. Wouldn't you like to belong to a church like that? Well, let me tell you something. You do belong to a church like that. There are some places in the world where if you've got more than three Christians, you're in a revival. We were in Serbia just before Christmas. Um, My advice is don't go at that time of year. It's cold and it snows. Go in the summer when you fry. But we were there And uh, there is one lady who's come to faith in Christ. She lives in southern Serbia. There is no church in her town at all. And so in order to have, and this is a large town. We're talking nearly 200,000 people. No church that talks about Jesus and the gospel. And so she has to catch a train on a Sunday morning and travel almost three hours to another town just to find a church. And that church only has 11 members. And that's the largest town. To go to a significant church like this, they have to travel all the way to the capital city. That lady gets up at 5 o'clock every Sunday morning just so that she can get to church on time. 
And some of us hide under the duvet and think, do you know what? I'm not going this morning. It's too cold. It's too far. What a church in the book of Acts. And yet, here's the point. They were in a sense of spiritual revival, and yet, they weren't doing what Jesus had called them to do. Because Jesus had given the church a great commission, or a great command. And we see it three times at least, probably more actually, in the early pages of the New Testament. And this is what Jesus said in Mark's gospel. He said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creatures. Now, when I was a kid, I used to think that was Mr. Doolittle. Go and preach the gospel to all creatures. What's that about? And as one who liked pets as a child, it's amazing how you can change. When I was a kid, we had hamsters, we had rabbits, we had dogs, we didn't have cats. Um, if you're a cat lover, then, you know, keep that to yourself. And uh, yeah. I have a joke about cats, but the last time I told it, I upset someone. And so you've got to learn. So, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, I'll resist that one. Um, apparently, the, the devil's not a cat. He's a lion. And uh, there you go. So, but the fact is, I loved animals. Now I've got two kids, we are are not having pets. They are banned from our house. Because it's always the dad who has to walk the dog and change the rabbit and keep the hamster alive, which is a, a big thing. So, Jesus did not mean preach the gospel to all creatures. Okay, so it's not go and talk to the animals. What he means is people. Go and preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to everybody, everywhere, in all creation. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. Then in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said this. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them. It was announced you're having a baptismal evening service, whatever it is. Um, If you have given your life to Jesus, but you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you as a visitor who's not even part of this church, go and be baptized. It's fine. You'll be okay. They'll bring you back up out of the water. It's fine. It's not a problem. Um, And it will be a significant step forward in your Christian journey. Jesus said you need to do it to be baptized and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then here in one Acts, or Acts 1 even, and verse 8, Jesus said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what's my point? Jesus said to the disciples, you are to take this fantastic message of the gospel and discipleship to the whole of the globe. Everywhere where there are people, you need to take this message. And so they took it to Jerusalem, 
and Jerusalem, and Jerusalem, and Jerusalem. And if you wanted to know about Jesus, you just had to live in Jerusalem. If you lived anywhere else, the likelihood is you would never hear the message of Christ. If you wanted Jesus to come into your life and transform and change you forever, you had to live in Jerusalem. If you happen to live in Spain, well, tough luck. If you wanted to be healed in the name of Jesus, you had to live in Jerusalem. Because the disciples took the command of Jesus and shrunk it down to their immediate locality. And so at the end of Acts chapter 7, God did something that I wouldn't have done. He put an end to the move of God, apparently. He put an end to the revival. It says that persecution came to the church, and apart from the apostles, all the other Christians, all the other believers were scattered and had to leave Jerusalem. They shrunk from a mega church down to just a handful of leaders. There was nobody left. Now, of course, God didn't put an end to the move of God. What he actually did was spread it around. Of course, there's a message in that for somebody somewhere here this morning. What appears to be bad news can actually be good news. It can actually be God getting hold of the situation in your life and growing you and expanding you and doing something bigger in your life. But this is the point. In order to obey Jesus, the church had to become bigger, not just numerically, but they had to become bigger in their thinking. And for the rest of my time, I just want to highlight a few areas where they needed to become bigger. And I want to encourage every single one of us that if we are going to stand out and shine in this world, we need to become bigger. Bigger in our thinking. Bigger in our hearts. Bigger in our fellowship and socializing together and in what we do as a group of Christians, even in this town. We need to become bigger. So here's a few areas that the early church needed to become bigger, and I trust that we will take it on board here today. First of all, they had to get a hold of a bigger world. We live in a bigger world. And yet, many of us in our mind and our thinking, we live in a small world. Our world shrinks. They say that as you get older, your world shrinks. Well, I have no idea. I'm still 19, and I have a long way to go. At least I used to feel 19 before we had children. Now I feel 91 some days. But the fact is, your world can shrink. When I was growing up in a good church and I smile now to think that I'm involved in missions work, I didn't even have a passport. I'd never been anywhere exciting. The furthest I'd ever been is Skegness. What a place. Now, according to the Butlin's brochure photographs, the sun always shines in Skeggy. I don't know when they took that photo, but they need to be done under the Trades Description Act. We're going there over Easter to the spring harvest thing, and oh, 
it will. It'll be, well, if it's like last time we went, it'll rain every single day. Now, to me, that was the ends of the world. Because when you get past Skeggy, there's nothing apart from a few wind turbines out there. But then that's it. You drop off the end of the world. I didn't realize that France was a real place. My world was too small. And it took quite a, a powerful move of God in my own life to open up a bigger world. I've discovered there are 7 billion people in this planet of ours. I don't know who counted. I suppose somebody from the UN who'd got nothing better to do went round and counted. 7 billion people on the planet. And you think it's crowded in Tesco's on a Saturday. That's a lot of people. And did you know that of those people, 40% or probably 42% of those people have never heard about Jesus? Now, I don't mean they've not been to one of our services and heard good preaching from one of the pastors. What I mean is they don't even know anything about Jesus because nobody has ever told them. And some of us have heard the good news about Jesus, I was going to say a billion times. That's an exaggeration. But we've heard it too much, perhaps. Can you hear the gospel too much? Well, you can if you don't do anything with it. It's the same with anything. We've become familiar with it when over a third of the world have never heard about Jesus. There are vast areas of our world where there is no church. And we're not talking about the dark ages or 300 years ago or the early days, whatever they are. When I was a kid, they used to talk about the early days, and I still have no idea what that meant. We're talking about today. And yet the opportunities we have are incredible. You can get on a plane today and uh, if you get over your fear, you can fly anywhere in the world. I read somewhere in a newspaper, so it's probably not true, but I read that at any given moment, there are as many as 10 million people in the air at any one time in an airplane. Now, I've not done the maths. That seems like a lot of people to me. Um, and it's still the safest form of transport. I don't believe that either, but that's what they tell me. I mean, what a world we live in. The ends of the earth, to me, that's probably New Zealand. That's good, because when you get to Australia, you can keep going, and then you get to New Zealand. You can get on a plane today, and in 24 hours, if you don't take a stop to refuel, you can be on the other side of the world. You can go home this afternoon, and if you're bored, you can go on the internet, and you can listen to preaching from anywhere in the world, live. You think the only people who listen to your podcast are the people here. People on the other side of the world can listen to what's going on in this local church. What opportunities we have. I know we don't feel like it. We've never been wealthier. My mother was talking to me about rations over the weekend. I don't know why she was talking about that, but I looked at her. I thought, well, I know you're old, but I didn't realize that you lived through those things we talked about in history. And she talked about queuing up to get the little slab of butter from the co-op. Wow. Some of you are nodding. Oh, yes, I remember those days. Bring them back. <laughs> wow, what a world we live in. 
We've never been wealthier. We've never had so much technology. What is my point? We've got a bigger world and we need to become bigger in our thinking. And what God wants to do in our world is bigger than what we want to do in our world. And what God wants to do in your world, whatever that means, in your workplace, in your home, in this community, in this local church. Listen, God has bigger plans for this church than you've got. And what he wants to do here in this town of Ilkeston and in Mansfield and God knows how many other places through this church. He's got plans to bless and to prosper and to enlarge. His plans are far bigger. We need to put aside our small ideas and our small thinking and our small plans and our small numbers. And we need to get on board with God. We need a bigger world view. Well... My time's nearly gone, so here we go. We need a bigger gospel. Some of us have shrunk the good news of Jesus down to God can't do very much except for a few small handful of Christians. There are places in the world where a hundred years ago there were no Christians, and today there are millions and millions and millions of Christians. It's incredible what God can do. Why can't God do it here? The message of the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And I refuse to buy into this idea that the gospel has no power in England. The gospel is powerful. Now, I'm not suggesting there aren't things that need dealing with here in our own culture and in our own land. But the fact is the gospel is powerful wherever it is preached. And when the Apostle Paul traveled around doing his missionary work and preaching, he didn't go to Christianized places. He went to places where no one had ever heard the gospel, and he met with success when he preached the good news of Christ dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and saving people from their sins. And if Paul can do it there, we can do it here. You know, one of the greatest challenges is not the lack of power in the gospel. The greatest challenge is the lack of the gospel being told to people. It's not just people on the other side of the planet who don't know about Jesus. Right here in our locality, there are plenty of people who have never heard the message. Now, they may have come into contact with a church, that doesn't mean that they know and understand and comprehend the love of God and the salvation in Christ and what Jesus can do for them. We need to understand it's a bigger gospel. It can save more people than we think it can save. And it can save, how shall I put this, the type of people that we would say, well, God can't help them. Let me tell you, God can help anybody. In fact, there are some people, they're only beyond help because they've not heard the gospel yet. The gospel is the one thing that can help them and can rescue them. It doesn't matter what a mess you have made, even here in this service this morning. It doesn't matter how low you feel you have sunk. And you may say, well, I've been to this place and that place. I've been to the authorities. I've been for counseling. I've been to the hospital. There is nobody anywhere that can help me. I am beyond help. Let me tell you, Jesus loves you. Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus rose again from the dead. He is all-powerful. He is here. And if you will take one step towards him, Jesus is the answer for your life. 
And we need to become, in our minds, bigger in our thinking about the gospel. Well, I've said what I've said this morning. We need to become bigger. One final thing. We need to become bigger in our understanding of our own call. God has called this church in Ilkeston to change this locality. Not just this town, but the towns around it. And who knows, this whole nation. You have a call on your life. I want to encourage you, think bigger about your church. Think bigger about the vision of this house. Think bigger about the prophetic words that have been spoken over this place. Think bigger about the plans God has for this local church. God has greater things in store and in mind for you than you could ever begin to think or imagine. And when you hear vision being spoken of, whatever that is from a platform like this, don't sit there thinking this is too big. Sit there thinking, well, it's just a start. God has bigger things. And for you personally, somebody said something really sad to me recently. They said, now I've retired, I'm stepping back from all the things in the church, and I'm just going to sit and enjoy the ministry and let the young ones come through. I have never heard such nonsense. These people are perfectly good, healthy people. They could serve God till the day they die. God has something for you to do. Don't shrink, think bigger. Don't shrink, expand. Don't go backwards, go forwards and realize this is a bigger world. We have a bigger message to proclaim and you have a bigger work for God to do. Suddenly a hymn's come into my mind. Where's that come from? Is it from the Lord? I don't know. Well, I'll quote it and you'll see. There's a work for Jesus only you can do. Oh, yeah, is that right? See, some of you think us young'uns only know new songs. If only. (laughs) There is a work for Jesus that only you can do, and you need to get on and do it. Amen? It's been great to be here this morning. I uh, would ask, would you just stand? I'm going to pray and then hand back to uh, Christian, if that's okay. Father, I pray for every single one of us that this morning we would, in our desire to stand out in our world and shine, that we would come to appreciate just how much bigger our God is, how much bigger our world is, how much bigger our mission field is, how much bigger the power of God is, how much bigger the uh, scope of the gospel is, how much bigger the call of God upon our lives is, how much bigger your plans and purposes even for this church is. Father, I pray for this town. I pray for this community. I pray for the outlying areas. Lord, we know that the good news of Jesus is the answer, and it is the power of God. And so, Father, we pray that many, many lights would shine in this community. And we pray that the light of the good news of Jesus will make its way into every street and into every home and into every school and into every workplace and every shop and every place where people meet and gather, that the goodness and the favor and the grace of God would be seen. I pray for this church. Lord, I thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that's here. And Father, we call again upon your favor and your blessing and your prosperity and your goodness. Lord, pour out from an open heaven, we pray. 
every resource and every blessing and every power and every influence through them, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.